welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's me, Lindsay Hooper, joined by Kate Borsay for one last time in 2019. Hello, listeners. We're going to take a look at the week that saw the heavens open and waterlogged pitches across the country. I won't sing this one. And the final WSL matches of the decade. And to help us through these squelchy pitches and train delays, yes, she was affected, but she's made it into the studio today. It's the Males Women's Football Reporter, Claire Bloomfield. Hello. Hello, ladies. We finally got you on. At last, at long last. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, Tell us about your weekend. Where were you? Well, I was on my way to Birmingham, Manchester United, and obviously that game was called off quite early doors luckily for me I didn't end up getting on the train to Birmingham turning straight around which is what I anticipated might happen that does happen sometimes I've been on that 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 journey halfway there and then suddenly nope it's off you've got to turn around so at least you hadn't stepped outside yet exactly it did give me a chance to um to watch Everton Arsenal the early kickoff on Sunday so not all was lost Bit of a damp squib all round this weekend, ladies. One thing that's concerned me is the attendances, and we'll mention them as we go through. But just to say the highest attendance of the weekend was at Manchester City, 1,173 for their 5-0 win against Brighton. But the rest, you know, didn't really make it much past 500. So a slight note of concern for me there, really. It is starting to tail off a little bit because we had all of the huge stadiums, a lot of marketing, a lot of push around the game. And then you do wonder how long is that going to uh, continue in terms of momentum? You do also point at the weather because I, I think that will have had an effect on, on the attendances. Yeah, it isn't great for the game if uh, matches are being postponed. I know that you were on your way to Birmingham, Claire, but the other fixture between Bristol City and West Ham was quite a late call-off, as I understand it. So that wouldn't have pleased um, a lot of fans. So there will, as you say, Lindsay, be, you know, honestly, a should we risk it, should we not? And, you know, listen, when you're, when you're travelling with kids, it's not just you and a mate. There's like another layer of complication to it. But this brings us on later to another discussion that Emma Hayes had about pitches, because if the quality of the pitches was better in the women's game, then maybe not so many games would be called off. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this is something I've had a good old rant about for the Daily Mail, even just today. And I I certainly think that it's it's high time that we invested properly in in the grounds that the WSL clubs were playing in. Often they're kind of a League One, League Two side. You know, they're, they're often when there's a, there's a Premier League club backing them, they should pump some more money in really and make should. sure those pitches are absolutely perfect. If the men won't play on them, why should the women? Yeah, Claire, you've been at the World Cup. I know you've been following the women's game for a while, but of course you started out following the men's game as a men's football journalist because, surprise, surprise, there wasn't a lot of jobs around for women's football journalists when us lot started out, was there? <laughs> uh, so tell right. us about how you've enjoyed covering it. it it's been fantastic. Um, in the past, I've always managed to kind of just pull in a few women's features here and there whether it be across TV or magazines and newspapers but there wasn't a huge amount of interest and it does feel now that there's kind of a kind of bit of a turning point a watershed moment if you like perhaps that was the summer where you know I was working for the Sun covering the Women's World Cup and can honestly say I never thought that women's football would be a back page splash for them and and it was multiple times over so it's been it's been great there's still a long way to go I think all of the newspapers and the media as a whole has a a lot of work to do but I hope this this is just the start of a, a really positive change for the coverage of women's football. Thanks, Claire. OK, let's get on with the rest of the show. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. 
Well, on to our first match to mention. First of four, because of course there were two postponements. Um, Arsenal's 3-1 win away at Everton. That's ensured that they lead the Women's Super League going into the new year. There were another two goals for Vivian Miedemar. She just can't stop <laughs> scoring. Uh, she actually got those at either side of Kim Little's penalty with Chloe Kelly grabbing Everton's consolation. Arsenal are three points clear at the top. Um, not such good news for Beth Mead though, Claire, who picked up an injury. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was it was a devastating injury, really. I mean, it certainly looked like the players were, were quite shaken after that and it was kind of the break came at the right time, I think. They managed to kind of regroup and, and start strong in the second half, but they were certainly affected by that Beth Mead uh, challenge from, from Gabby George. It was a, a late, rough challenge, possibly more than a yellow card for me. I think if we'd had the luxury of the replays you see in the Premier League, our you know opinions might have been different. But it's understood that Beth will have a scan or an X-ray today, and then we wait from Arsenal to to mm. find out what happens and next. She was up on crutches with a um, one of those Beckham boots on at the end of the game. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But of course, we await to hear news from Arsenal. I also spared a thought for Joe Montemoro because he's away at the moment, so he's not in charge for these next two matches. So he'll have learned that news over in Australia because he he's gone there for personal reasons at the moment. And can you imagine one of your star players? Oh, just before the the turn of of the new year, you're probably going to be without her for quite a while. I know we've talked about Miedemar and she obviously rightly so takes a lot of the headlines, but I don't think you can forget how important Beth Mead has been to that side. She's been instrumental. We saw obviously what she was capable of uh, for England over the summer. I think she's carried on uh, this season for Arsenal. So she'll be a huge loss if there is to be a, a long absence for her. Mudamart with 53 goals for the calendar year so far. This is where the hashtag feed the Viv, it's my favourite one. All year, (laughs) feed the Viv hashtag uh, comes into play. And for you, Claire, Arsenal rightly at the top of the table going into this winter break. Yeah, they are, but I'm glad that it doesn't all look kind of signed and sealed already that we do have a title race. That's what's really important for me. I don't like to like the the looks of the Bundesliga or Division 1 in France, for example. I, I want to see a real title race and I think that's what this league needs in order to keep pushing the attendances is a problem that you highlighted earlier. And um, Linz, for you, I know you watched this one. Everton, what's mm. your assessment of them so far? I just think they're going from strength to strength. I know this scoreline doesn't reflect that, but I think Willie Kirk has found the club that fits him. We've seen him manage quite a few different clubs now. People will remember him at Bristol uh, before. I think he's finally nailed the job that really suits him and he's got the, the personnel to be able to do what he wants. He's got some really good young talent in that team. And I think if they can just address, which they are doing, that this move from Southport, improving the home stadium, getting the home fans support I think he's really onto a winner with this team and they've certainly impressed me this season they've surprised me I don't know whether they've surprised you Claire but they weren't a team that I thought would be so high up the table as they are Absolutely not. He really has well and truly turned around their fortunes and with some really interesting methods. I I spent a bit of time with him a few weeks ago up at Finch Farm and he talked me through, I think, some methods which I think even his mentors have been a little bit worried about, if you like, because he has this idea of of naming his squad a day or so before the game. He then doesn't offer any explanations to any player on an individual basis. Then after the game usually the following day when they, when they all arrive at training again, he will walk them through every single decision from the formation, the team selection, his substitutions, why he made them at that time. And that's the only point when the players will get feedback. And so far, it sounds like most of the squad have bought into that. And as a player, you then know where you stand. This early announcement of the team news, you know you're going to be in that team. I don't know whether I'm such a fan of it being public in terms of the opposition knowing who the team is, but in terms of them knowing, I think that's probably, as a player, what you want to be able to get your head 
head in the right mindset. Um, and I do think the mentality at Everton has really changed and he has definitely made them mentally stronger. He did say, actually, when he first walked into the club at the beginning of December last year, that the players' first concern was whether or not he was going to take away their Christmas holidays. And that certainly won't be on those players' minds right now when they look at the table and they see that you know that they're in with a real shot. Mm. And the stadium move is imminent as well, which is only going to be good news for the team moving back towards the centre of Liverpool. And I really hope that their support builds for that one. The attendance, 451 at that game. <laughs> Well, on to the next match that we'll cover, and it was Liverpool holding Chelsea to a one-all draw. Quite a surprise result, I think, for most people looking at this one. Uh, Chelsea dropped down to third in the WSL after this draw against Liverpool. Neve Charles' goal actually put the home side in front, but it was cancelled out later on by Beth England. Uh, Chelsea really struggled to make an impact in this game. Emma Hayes afterwards did lay the blame squarely on the pitch, as we covered in the intro. Some controversial comments that she made, but then she has retracted those somewhat with a, with a statement on Twitter saying that she felt she was a bit harsh in some of the comments that she did make. She said, this pitch shouldn't be part of our league. The parent club are champions of Europe. They should be providing their women's team with significantly more than they're doing. The quality of the pitch, Emma Hayes said at the end of the game, is a stain on their football club. And the tweet that has come out since then, she has actually said, thanks to the fans for coming out yesterday. Liverpool are a wonderful team with a fabulous manager and deserve the point against us. Also, I apologise for my frustration regarding the pitch. You deserve better. I'm sorry for my comments. I think she means you deserve better as in you deserve a better pitch, by the way, not you deserve better than my comments. (laughs) That's what what I'm reading into that. Let's address that first. Is it an excuse, Claire, in this match that the, the pitch, the fact that Chelsea lost? Because Liverpool are playing on exactly the same surface. Yeah, you have to argue that Liverpool are somewhat used to it. Unfortunately, they they shouldn't be. You know, playing at Prenton Park, they shouldn't be used to those conditions, as, as we've already mentioned. But I don't think Chelsea can solely lay the blame there. I think they were possibly a little bit too complacent because on paper this looks like a game that should have been a comfortable result for them, really. Let, let's shine a light on Liverpool then because they're off the foot of the table, Kate. Oh, I'm so delighted for them. It feels, like we've, <laughs> it feels like we've been banging this drum a long time. And I know, Claire, that you've echoed me and I've said it, gosh, for about the past five or six weeks that I don't get it. I don't get why Liverpool are not performing the way they are. And, and, and I have also been critical of the parent club and, and how good it looks for the champions of Europe and the team who are at the top of the Premier League to be facilitating a side that is struggling so much. Mm. And you have something coming out in the paper soon, don't you, about shared facilities? Yes, exactly. That's right. Um, at the moment, it looks like when Liverpool make the move to their brand new multi-million pound state-of-the-art facility, the Kirkby training facility, it will be, as Club Communication says, um, for Academy and obviously the, the first team. There is no mention yet of the women's team being involved in that facility. So for me, Peter Moore has some pretty big questions to yeah. answer. Yeah, you yeah. you basically hope that that's some sort of communications issue and that they haven't announced it yet or they haven't thought about it yet which is criminal enough but if that if that is true and that stays that is absolutely shocking and there is no place for that in the game with where the game's going and with just you know general levels of equality and seeing women represented and backed in sport there is no way when you have other outfits that are doing it so well man city chelsea surely they know that they've they've got to try and and compete there um it, it does make you feel for them and they're 
constantly like it feels like they're climbing against treacle doesn't it all the time well let's hope it's addressed shall we um let's just uh finally talk about chelsea with this because is this a blip for them in their season they they lost as well in the conti cup fixture to reading on penalties then they followed up with this draw dropping points they're now in third we know how important it is to emma hayes to try and finish in in those champions league places Certainly after Chelsea's game against Manchester City the week before, the first thing that Emma Hayes said was she was worried about being able to get the players through this final week before the Christmas break because she felt like their heads had perhaps already been turned and they were already thinking about their holidays. And she said it was going to be a challenge to get them through that, that Conti Cup tie and then the trip to Everton. And, you know, possibly she was proved right. Well, let's move on to our next game. Manchester City thrashed Brighton 5-0 to move up to second in the league. Among City's goal scorers was captain Steph Horton with a free kick similar to the one she scored against Cameroon for England in the summer. And this Ellen White volley. If you get your body in the way, you'll be able to stop Manchester City. Not if you give them space like this, though. Becky's effort in. And that is a wonderful, wonderful goal by Ellen White. So City move a point above Chelsea into the Champions League places. Great response uh, from City then, who lost to Chelsea last week. Uh, Lindsay, how did you like this one? I, I think this is exactly the sort of response that Nick Cushing wants to see from his players. And what was really interesting is that everyone seemed to be involved in this match. There, there weren't really standout players. It was just a really good team performance. Um, people chipping in from all over the park. I thought Georgia Stanway was great in midfield. I thought Ellen White's volley finish. I mean, that's just a strikers finish if you've not seen the clip of that yet there's a video on YouTube going <laughs> round or you can go to FA player but that's the sort of strikers finish you want to see I, I think I sent a, a message on the group to you, you and Abby send it up and, and, and it's also you know again I hate kind of harping on about this but it is a great advert for the women's game in so much as that skill is you know, is there in the women's game. It doesn't just have to be, you know, oh, this is a moment of exception. This stuff's happening week in, week out now. And the the overwhelming thing that I took away from this performance is I felt there was more grit. I think we talked about it as if they listened to our podcast from last week because we said that sometimes Manchester City, they haven't been as physical a presence as we've expected them to be. They haven't been as hungry at times as as I think I've been used to seeing them. But I thought there was real grit in this performance. Yeah, I heard Hope Powell say afterwards, Claire, that this was just down to defensive errors. She was kind of um, a little bit woeful about the organisation of her team. But their keeper, Sophie Harris, making her first league start of the season, did make some good saves. So fair play to her. What does Hope Powell need to do going into Christmas? Because it feels like for some of those clubs at the bottom, it is just trying to hang on, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what worries me, really, this idea of kind of the, the top three, top four pulling away and there just be this huge gulf with, with those clubs who struggle at the bottom of the table. And obviously, you know, Brighton have got big backing, but they still don't have the same resources, despite a largely impressive training ground. They still don't have the same resources at the disposal that City do. And, and I think we all, because they're Manchester City, we assume City have a very big squad. And actually, the reality is that they don't. On Monday, in your newspaper, uh, The Mail, we saw Jill Scott's column where she said that she didn't want to play over Christmas. I'm sure that's how quite a few players feel. Tell us about that, first of all, and, and when you read it as well. Well, first of all, when, when I sat down with Jill, we, we had coffee early uh, last week and we, we talked about this kind of this festive tradition we have. We all love to go and watch football on Boxing Day and it becomes very 
much part of our kind of Christmas tradition. Certainly in, in, in my house it was. And I was surprised that, that Jill took this stance on it, that in fact she didn't want to be involved in, in games over the festive period and that she was ready for the break. And she also mentions that that generally is how players feel across the league, particularly those who've been involved in a World Cup because, you know, they got back from the World Cup, possibly had two weeks off. You maybe have a week away with your friends and family. You kind of adjust into normal life again and then you're back to work. So a lot of those players physically need the break. Uh, she did point out the fact doesn't mean she will be sat with her feet up at home eating buffet food for the, the three weeks or I so. I absolutely that got. love that quote. It doesn't mean, I'll, and you can just hear Jill say it, it doesn't mean that we'll be spending the next fortnight eating buffet food, she says, <laughs> although I will be. Thanks, Jill. She could probably eat whatever she wants, though, and she'd be fine. On the more serious note with it, though, because it hasn't been a great week for Manchester City in terms of their players and PR own goals, if that's what we're going to call them. This is a more minor one. But it maybe isn't advisable to air that. Um, and I know that you're ducking away because you're like, that's our paper column and we want that in the paper because it's, of course, going to get readers. But I'm going to look to Kate then in this and, and think that it it's just how we know Jill. She's so honest and open and tells you as it is. But sometimes, and we'll move on to Steph Horton in a moment, you've just got to be a bit more protective of the thing that you're trying to promote. I guess so. But you know what? If this is how she feels, then then why not say it? And we forget that the Premier League is a bit of an anomaly in that a lot of other leagues, like the Bundesliga and I could carry on, do have a Christmas break. And people like Jurgen Klopp, Arsene Wenger back in his day as well. It feels weird saying back in his day, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Arsene Wenger was a big supporter of trying to have a festive break. So if this is what Jill believes, I don't hold anything against her at all, actually, for this. And do you know what? This is, for me, is what's nice about the women's game is that they don't mind what they say the whole time. And in defence of Jill uh, I would actually go to the I, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit because I know some people will think oh you know well, well why have you said that but actually they don't get the money that the men's do so if that was a level playing field maybe we'd all say well get on with it you get paid an absolute fortune but they don't so maybe they are more entitled to a break well certainly at the end of the column she does kind of concede that you know if it, if it meant that by playing on Boxing Day they would get more fans through the gates or you know there would be a, a positive outcome for women's football generally then the players would wholeheartedly back that move if the FA were to bring it in next season perhaps but uh, yeah I mean uh, she does also mention she thinks some of the Premier League boys would happily give up a week's wages if it meant they could have some uninterrupted time with their family over the Christmas break. So it'll be interesting to know what their response might be. It's very honest and you have to respect that. But um, let's also move on to the to the other uh, event of the week, which was um, England captain Steph Horton um, talking to Jamie Carragher on his podcast, The Greatest Game. This is the quote. So this is what she said. She said, if it's, and she's referring to the women's game, is on the telly, I mean, I won't break my neck to go and watch it. Whereas if there's a good game on in men's football, our whole nights revolve around watching that. I saw this take off on social media. I saw the responses and I saw some of the the remarks leveled towards Steph and she had a lot of my sympathy with it because I, I just think it's not well thought through. I don't think it is a great line when you look at it in black and white and it, even when you listen to it, you don't want to hear the England captain, the Manchester City women's captain saying that she's not watching the match. But I immediately thought, well, she can't be watching it because she's playing in the matches most of the time. So you can't watch it. So what you find with the with the women's game especially is that they do watch a lot of men's football because, of course, they play at a different time. They tend to, to watch men's football and then play themselves. Uh, it just didn't sound great when, when you hear it like that. Absolutely not. And I was surprised that it actually took so long to really start picking up pace, that story, because... That podcast came out quite a few weeks ago and it was something some of the press back were kind of having conversations about in and around the press room ahead of games. So I, I am quite surprised that it took so long to, to take off on social media. 
But I have to agree with you, Lindsay. I really think that it, it was a bad move from Steph. I think perhaps if she was to kind of be sat in that chair again alongside Carragher, she would probably think twice about kind of being so open and brutally honest about not breaking her neck to, to watch women's football. But I think it's not also just about watching live games, but is she also applying that rule to some of the, the games that whether it be a highlights show or whether it be games from other leagues around the world I appreciate they're perhaps a little bit more difficult to watch but yeah I, I don't think that was a smart move from Steph you would hope that she is watching highlight shows but yeah for someone normally so measured I think that's why we were surprised because she's normally very very careful well hopefully everyone can move on from that and we're going to anyway we're going to move on to the next game which is Reading 3 Spurs 1 and Reading came from behind in this one to beat Spurs thanks to late goals from Remy Allen and Amelie Eichland. They've overtaken Spurs to now occupy six in the WSL table going into the winter break. Uh, so Reading, they've had a real mixture of results this season, showed some strong resilience though in this one. Yeah, which is unusual. They, they actually showed a good fight early on, which is different to the Reading that we've seen so far this season. A double save from uh, Becky Spencer denied Captain Farrell Williams um, from opening the scoring inside four minutes. There are um, a few other players who got in on the action as well. Uh, in the second half, I think what was notable was the, the Spurs goal, Siri Vorm. If you haven't seen this, by the way, it's a fantastic, lovely curling shot into the top corner of the goal from the edge of the box. And it's picked out Siri Vorm, who looks to pick out the corner. Oh, shit! That is wonderful. But for Reading, you know, we are used to seeing them scramble at the end of the game. And this has come from one of our writers, Jesse, who's um, got a piece up on the website now, actually, who says that uh, Reading have rescued seven points in their last four games as a result of goals scored after the 80th minute. For context, without that, they would be sat in ninth place. Instead, they are in sixth. So my question for Reading would be, you can't keep leaving it so late. Although it's exciting to watch, you can't keep leaving it so however, late. However, one second, sometimes we criticised WSL teams for not playing to the 90th minute and now we're saying Reading are the team to watch 80 minutes plus. This is good for the sport. Yeah, it is good. We, we love a bit of drama. This is what we're all watching football for. You do want to be on the edge of your seat. Uh, Reading was always a very, very difficult place to go and the big sides never liked going there and it feels like they lost a bit of that bite this season but perhaps it's coming back. And Spurs, we have to mention the fact that they'll have ended the year on a defeat but overall, how are you thinking about them? I think they've exceeded expectations and I honestly think Juan and, and Karen are really kind of impressive little coaching duo, I think. Obviously a unique system that they've got there, but it's it's working. They don't look like a side that's just been promoted. They go into this three-week break seventh in the table I think they'll be really satisfied with that Yeah I must just add in as well actually there's a couple of brilliant saves um, from Spurs goalkeeper Becky Spencer she did go off injured so hopefully she'll be back in time for the restart after the new year You did hear that Becky Spencer kindly kicked a ball in my face at the uh, one of the opening games of the the season when they were playing Liverpool at the Hive it was actually their first game at the Hive and it probably <laughs> is still on the FA player if you want to watch it Why is this not a huge splash in your paper Claire Bloomfield? <laughs> it was absolutely terrible I honestly can't believe that my laptop survived and so did my face. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just remind everyone that two other matches were called off this weekend. Birmingham against Man United and Bristol against West Ham. That's not to say, though, that we haven't got news out of those clubs. Yep, that's right. Good news for Manchester United. Lauren James has signed her first pro contract with the club. So despite the lack of pitch action, Twitter has still had something to celebrate. I think there's a lot of excitement around Lauren James and rightly so. And it's great that we're seeing a player now who is exciting fans from various clubs. I think you know most fans could could watch the, the WSL who are not 
perhaps following Man United, but but look at Lauren James and feel impressed and excited by it. In fact, Lauren James gets a mention later on. That's when we review our 2019 highlights. We've got a three-week winter break now, of course, in the WSL. Next set of fixtures, by the way, Sunday 5th of January. Uh, the Conti Cup group stages drew to a close uh, last week as well, Lynn. So the quarterfinals are... Arsenal against Reading, Sheffield United versus Manchester City, Man United host Brighton and Chelsea against Villa. Uh, the championship teams, Casey Stoney covered this with us on the podcast. She thought that there were a few tough draws in there. Your thoughts on that? I think Chelsea Villa is a really exciting tie. Obviously, we, we know Emma Hayes on what to go as far as she possibly can in this competition, given you know they finished last season trophyless. She, she, she does miss out on the WSL title this year. She certainly wants to, to get her hands on that. But interestingly, Villa are a side who are really pumping money into to that club, you know, with ambitions to be a WSL side next season, all being well. They're certainly offering players bigger contracts than other clubs in that same league. So, yeah, that's that's the tie that, that I'll be looking out for. But to be honest, hand on heart, I can say I'm not that bothered about the Continental Cup anyway. I'd quite happily scrap it. I think Emma Hayes has previously said things were similar lines. Yeah, I would happily scrap the competition, extend the league and and fill our, our fixture list with, with league games every single week. Standout experience for me when I was hosting the WSL show on BT and occasionally in the men's game you go and cover different different stadiums I went to Aston Villa walked in and it just surprised me how many people watched that show first of all because I don't think there were that many and they were really engrossed in women's football back then and they were like oh we know you you present the WSL show I just thought it was incredible how much they were behind it so it doesn't surprise me at all that the club are going bigger on it so good news for Villa who play Chelsea away and Sheffield United actually who are going to host Manchester City great for travelling fans in that they don't have that far to travel and I know Sheffield United will really be relishing that one the ties will be played on the 15th and 16th of January You're listening to The Offside Rule, WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition with Lindsay Hooper, Kate Borsay and we're joined this week by Claire Bloomfield. And on to the 2019 highlights section because we can't let the year go by without shining a light on some of its stars in the WSL and beyond. It's the last show of the year, so let's hand out some WSL awards. Offside Rule edition styly, shall we? Well, I can exclusively reveal on this show that Lindsay Hooper is dressed and ready for this awards ceremony. Sparkle. She has a purple sparkly dress on, ready for, in actual fact, an event tonight. But <laughs> I think she's been doing some early preparation, ready to host these Offside Rule WSL Edition Awards. And what a 2019 it's been. We've had Arsenal win the WSL. City at the double again. Record-breaking attendances at the North London Derby and at Wembley. And the Lionesses, well, England, they went and won the She Believes Cup. Leon won the Champions League yet again. But the PSD resistance was, of course, the Women's World Cup won by USA and Megan Rapinoe emerging as a global icon. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. And for the very first time, they've done it on European soil. It is finished at the Stade de Lyon in the final in victory and joy for the United States. Claire, your memories of France, please. Take us back 
Well, it feels like such a long time ago. So much has happened since then. First of all, a phenomenal campaign, both for England. Okay, we you know we came away without without a medal, but I think we made huge strides off the field, both in terms of interest, sponsorship. We, you know, a lot of old men sat in their armchairs. We we managed to put them straight and show that the women's game generally is worth watching, and the statistics showed that. And we've also we've we've come away with some kind of read he- heroes of the women's game, which are now known all around the world. The likes of Megan Rapinoe, as you've you've touched on Lucy Bronze, and and plenty of others. So, a, a hugely exciting campaign. I'm very excited to see what happens in four years. Obviously, on Friday, the uh, the bids went in for which nation might host the competition. So, I think there'll be even more anticipation for that one. We knew that England had pumped lots of money into the WSL, that they've really had, you know, a project that they've been working on for many years. What impressed me in France over the summer is that that was a global thing. And I saw Scandinavian teams, teams like Australia turning up, and they were performing brilliantly. And I felt that the gulf between the top sides, your your Netherlands and your USA's um, and your Germany's, I I think that's really diminished now. And that there's a, a a pack that's chasing and it's making world football in women's football so exciting. How did France receive the World Cup? Because we know that there were some reports that Nice didn't advertise it perhaps as well as they should do. But that was in contrast, wasn't it, to some of the smaller stadiums more towards the, the north of the country? Yeah, it was really disappointing. It's actually one of the things that really sticks with me when I look back on the tournament is this idea of the lack of visibility, particularly in the South, as you mentioned, and it didn't feel like there was a kind of Carnival World Cup atmosphere, which you expect when you, you arrive in a, in a destination like that. And it was quite surprising given how relatively easy and inexpensive it is to get there, certainly from the UK. So that was disappointing. But generally, you know, if you look at France now and you look at, at attendances and you look at the feel towards women's football, it doesn't feel like there's been a home World Cup. They're not reaping the rewards of a home World Cup whatsoever. And I know there's a report that's supposed to come out early next year, which We'll, we'll look at the impact um, mm. of that tournament, but I, I think it'll be disappointing. So whilst it has galvanised attendances here, it hasn't had the same effect in the host country, of course, which is not what FIFA set out to do, do they? Well, let's hand out some of these awards then for 2019, starting with WSL Player of the Year. I think it's safe to say that this is a unanimous one. So should we just all talk about Vivian Miedemar for a second? <laughs> Again, yes. <laughs> I can tell you that she's WSL title winner, record for the most WSL goals scored in a season. Thanks, Tim Stillman, for this, by the way. Broke the Netherlands' all-time goal-scoring record at the World Cup age 22. She was a World Cup finalist. Generally awesome. We've already mentioned the 53 goals scored in 2019. What else is there to say about Miedemar? Well, there's the match recently where she scored six yes. and assisted four. That's pretty standout. That was another match report that was a hell to write. <laughs> Are we going to see more from Vivian Miedemar? I think she's better got out of third gear, to be honest with you. I think there's a hell of a lot more to come from, from Miedemar. And I'm still absolutely astonished that she was nowhere near the Ballon d'Or award this year. And she doesn't seem to get a look in in those major trophies around the world, individual accolades, which she's certainly more than, than worthy of. Mm. Fascinating is that she has gone on record and said that she prefers playing as number 10 which is a crying shame because she's a brilliant number nine as well. But I think she can play anywhere, really. Quick shout out to Chelsea G. Uh, great in the first half of 2019 for me, not a great World Cup. And although she's brilliant and we know that, it doesn't feel like she's dominated the WSL headline so far uh, for the first part of this season. Farrah Williams, third highest goal scorer in the WSL last season. You cannot underplay her importance in that Reading side. And Leah Williamson, a shout out for her, Arsenal's most active player on the ball last season. And that is, of course, the title winning side so don't you know forget people like those players but I think Miedemar is the only one that we can go with really isn't it overall Miedemar Miedemar it's Miedemar 
Vivian Miedemar. Miedemar. Miedemar again. Miedemar. 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 It's another for Miedemar. Our next to WSL Young Player of the Year. And Kate, you are very opinionated about Lauren James at Manchester United. Not just very opinionated, I'm a big fan. Huge fan. 18 years old. It's her power and her poise. She looks and plays much older than her years. Um, she's been playing for Manchester United since they formed as the Championship Club last year. Obviously, we know she's just signed her first pro contract with them. There may be small issues in terms of just finessing her game, possibly a little bit on the discipline side. And Casey Stoney hasn't played her in every game as well. She's, you know, keeping keeping things quite tight with her. But as a player, to me, young, strong, powerful. She's a great advert. Claire, give us your pick for WSL Young Player of the Year then. Actually, sticking with Manchester City, for me, it's it's goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck. I think the goalkeepers have really been in the spotlight since the summer. We've started to pay a little bit more attention to them, thankfully. And Ellie Roebuck, even just look at that game against Chelsea a, a few weeks ago mm. when she just pulled out back-to-back worldy saves. She was incredible. And the fact that, you know, she's been on the, the fringes of Phil Neville's England squad. She is a really exciting prospect looking ahead to those major tournaments that we have coming up in next year and, and the year beyond. So Ellie Robicus is the one for me. That experience of going out with the Lionesses in France during the summer, I think, has done her the world of good as well. I'd like to mention Everton's Chloe Kelly. She was one of the first guests we had on the WSL podcast this season. She came on, scored in her first game. She's been a regular over the last three seasons with the Toffees and four goals in seven league games as it stands Uh, she's really overcome an injury as well I think it's worth pointing that out because otherwise she might have more goals to her name Um, she spent last season playing through one but now that she's over that she really really excites me and what I love about this obviously is that she plays for a side like Everton so it isn't just about the Chelsea's and the Manchester Cities it's about exciting prospects lower down at the table as well so great shout Lindsay for that one Claire you've had the options who are you going to go for? This is a really tough one. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to come on here today and have to dish out a what? <laughs> Let's go with Chloe Kelly. I think, as you say, it's important to recognise some of those players who are not just with the, the you know, the, the top three, top four glamorous clubs at the top of the, the WSL. I think it's important to recognise someone like Chloe who really has uh, flourished under Willie Kirk. Confidence surging through their veins. Kelly has another go. Oh, my goodness gracious me. Wow. Twice in as many minutes from Chloe Kelly. On to World Player of the Year and Kate straight away. I'm going to go Juliet. Um, I thought in our top 100 she was further down than I thought she would be. Um, she's just won the US Soccer Federation's play, Women's Player of the Year. For me, it's her versatility as a midfielder. She plays in centre-back as well. She's so strong and so physical and people don't recognise the importance of her, not only domestically for the, for the Chicago Red Stars, but also for that USA national team as well. Jill Ellis describes her as professionalism, effort and talent. And that sums her up for me. She is an absolute legend in my eye. Julie Ertz. Oh, Claire, who have you got? I'm going with Sam Kerr. Mm-hmm. I think Sam Someone Kerr. had to mention her. Exactly. And I'm so excited to think that she is going to be in the WSL and we're going to be talking about her every single week as of January when she officially joins Chelsea. I think, you know, for a player who has set so many records in so many different leagues around the world, she's about to come in and set the WSL on light, uh, alight. To me, it also kind of could spark a bit of a, a transfer 
uh, war transfer craze around the WSL where we might see big clubs finally spending big money to try and compete with signings like her. And I think, you know, it's not just exciting to watch, but I think it's exciting for the league. I'm going to remind everyone about Ada Hegerberg, because she might not have been at the World Cup, but in terms of Champions League, which is the oracle, it's where everybody wants to be. Um, She had a hat-trick in the 2019 final. She's had nine Champions League goals this term, making her the highest scorer in the competition's history. Enough said about that. She is is sensational. However, I'm I'm already going to award the award to Sam Kerr because we can't really contradict the offside rules top 100 (laughs) where Sam Kerr came out number one. We need to be on brand. This is absolutely true. Oh, good run. Crosses fizzed in. And Sam Kerr has a hat-trick. Let's move on to World Young Player of the Year. We're running out of time, so I just like names. And if you've got some detail, great. But let's just go names. Uh, Claire Bloomfield. Mallory Pugh. USA, yeah, Mallory Pugh. Oh, I'm going USA as well, but I'm going Rose Lavelle. Um, She scored in the final, and I think she was brilliant throughout the tournament. I'm going to chip in with Delphine Cascarino, uh, plays for Lyon and France as well. She had that slight behavioural issue during the World Cup, didn't she? But her skill is there for all to see. I maybe just want her to execute it a little bit more. And Selma Batcher, she's a Lyon left-back. She's one to watch I guess yet to reach her full potential but for a 19 year old she looks absolutely awesome producer Abby can choose the winner of this one oh it's got to be Rose Lavelle hasn't it Rose up the middle looking cutting shooting I think when we're looking at young, established, exciting talent, I think we've done a good job there. Goal of the year, Lindsay Hooper? It's so fresh in the memory and I can't ignore it and I feel like there probably has been better. But it's that Arsenal move that we saw only last week against Reading and Kim Little finishing it off. But it wasn't just Kim Little's goal and finish. It was just the way that Arsenal played in the build-up to that goal. It was so beautifully worked. It was brilliant. And so I'm going with that one. Lush, lush, lush. Okay, Claire Bloomfield? I'm absolutely with you on that, Lindsay. I'm I'm so pleased that's the one you brought up because I was so excited to see football fans sharing that goal on social media and it wasn't just WSL fans or even Arsenal fans sharing that goal. It was football fans generally and that's what was really Mm. pleasing for me. I'm going to chip in with Lucy Bronze's rocket from the edge of the area to make it 3-0 to England against Norway uh, in their World Cup quarterfinal in Le Havre, also widely shared on social media. The sign of a good goal, the faces of the opposition and they were literally (laughs) like, what? Or whatever the Norwegian for what is. If it, if it was purely volume of goals, we'd have to go Miedemar. But I think we've got to give that award. Seeming as both Claire and I chose the same one, we'll give it to Arsenal and Kim Little and that that team. Over Lucy Bronze's Norway goal. Yeah. Pulls it all the way back for Little. Williamson. Little. Nobbs. Here's Kim Little. Oh, how about that? That is remarkable from Arsenal. And everyone's nodding apart from you. This is ridiculous. Let's go with the moment of the year, Claire Bloomfield. I know I've talked about Sam Kerr already, but again, it's Sam Kerr signing for Chelsea. I think that is a huge statement deal from both from Chelsea, both you know for Emma Hayes for being so persistent for two years into trying to get that deal over the line. I think that's massive. I think it will really turn around the WSL. Yeah, well, what sort of statement does that make? What does it say? I think it says that Chelsea want to win every single title going and they want to knock Leon off their perch. And I think now with Sam Kerr among their ranks, they'll be the favourites to do that. Or does it just say that Chelsea have got a great PR team? (laughs) 
as in, as in Chelsea are not silly. And this isn't just about, there is a lot about PR about this move as well, right? There is not, a lot of no, that. No, but you can't just and put I'm it down denying. to PR because it, you've got to back it up with the money. And, and that's the, it's the backing as well, isn't it? And it's also, it's also putting you on that level. I, do you know what? I sincerely hope it works. I really do. Otherwise, it could have a negative effect on the WSL. Right, let's keep celebrating anyway. Uh, my moment of the year, 11.7 okay. million people. Okay, Grinch. <laughs> Trying to bring this all <laughs> I just, down. I just wanted to wait it a little bit. Uh, 11.7 million people tuning in to watch England USA at the Women's World Cup. And the build-up to it is one of uh, my moments of the year. Lindsay? Um, I mean, you can't really get past how many people watch, by the way. I think that is the moment of that the year. We'll awesome. crown that in a second. But um, I do want to mention England being announced as host for the 2021 Euros because I think that's huge for this country. Um, and also because they have recently announced which stadiums are going to be hosting matches. They include Bramall Lane, Brentford Community Stadium, Brighton Hove Albion Community Stadium, Lee Sports Village, Manchester City Academy Stadium, New York Stadium in Rotherham, if you're not aware of that one, Stadium. MK, Milton Keynes, St Mary's in Southampton and Wembley. Mm, So a good split across the different areas of England. Also a quick shout for the 77,768 in attendance at Wembley to watch England take on Germany. It wasn't the result we wanted, but the crowd was good. And of course, at the first Women's Super League North London derby that attracted that league record attendance of just over 38,000. We're all awarded out, I I think, and we don't have any left now. Uh, We're out of stock. So we'll move on to predictions for 20. 2020. I'm looking at you, Claire, because having been a journalist in the game for some time and being able to predict these things, um, as you have in the past, I'm sure you've predicted wonders at the, the World Cup this summer. What are you predicting for next year? Chelsea to win the title and quite comfortably. Uh, I think we'll see Chelsea start to pull away. And again, I think it's Sam Kerr, which will, will be kind of the, the key figure in making that happen. I think also... So you're, say, you're saying they're going to run away with the title. Are you also grouping that with Champions League victory? Is someone going to knock Leon off their perch? If anybody can do it now, then it's Chelsea. Obviously, they have to qualify first. They have and, to qualify And first. that's what Emma Hayes will tell you. But I, I think if anyone can do it, it's them. And it's it's watching that team transform under Emma Hayes that I'm, I'm most excited about because she has got a big squad. There is a lot of players who will be looking over their shoulder when when Sam Kerr arrives. They're all going to have to up their game if they want to stay in that side. And of course, we won't know about that until 2021, will we? Because you're talking about next season in the Champions League. Lindsay, your prediction? I think we will do well at the Olympics. I think Team GB, It's. I think this is going to be a instrumental moment because we're going to have quite a lot of Scottish players. Phil Neville's already said that he's going to choose quite a few. So you think Kim Little, Erin Cuthbert, Emma Mitchell, Mm. maybe. Um, Yeah, there's going to be some, some good players playing. And I think, I think it could be a landmark moment if we come away with gold. And I'm going to say, let's go all the way. Let's try and do it. (laughs) Well, I'd written silver at the Olympics. There we go. Um, I think the average attendance to go up even further in 2020 would be my one. This from the BBC's Tom Gary. He spoke to Emma Hayes back in 2015 and she predicted that crowds could reach 4,500 by the year 2020. He says, with a round of games left in 2019, I calculate this season's WSL average as 4,279. So she's not far off. Slightly because of last weekend. But she's not far off. So yeah, average... Average attendance, let's go up to 5,000 by 2020 for That would me, be please. great. Um, I had an eyebrow raise when I said about winning gold at the Olympics from Claire and people can't see that at home. Why did you raise your eyebrow? I honestly can't see it happening. And, and to me, unless they come away from Tokyo with a medal, I think there's every chance Phil Neville will be on his way. 
Oh, my goodness. What a bombshell to end the show on. Thank you very much, Claire Bloomfield. (laughs) Happy 2019, everyone, from all of us. And thank you for your support as well. We must say, if you've been enjoying listening to us in 2019 or over the festive period into the new year, please leave us a review and rate us. Lindsay, how does that happen? You can do that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just click five stars, give us a little review, and we will read it out. Don't forget as well that we have an exclusive out next week uh, for Christmas. Jill Scott sat down with you, Kate. She did, and there is one moment in there where she reveals to us, I think exclusively, because I haven't read it anywhere else, um, an incident that happened when the, uh, she came back from the Women's World Cup and she got back into domestic matters with Manchester City and just the impact of uh, what happened at the World Cup and what that had on her. A reminder that you can keep up to date with everything we're doing Offside Rule related. We're at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. We also have a website where you can find lots of articles on women's football, offsiderulepodcast.com. Claire, thank you so much for coming in. Have a great Christmas. Thanks very much. Um, and a very happy new year. We hope your predictions come true. Well, no, we don't because you're saying Phil's going to get the sack. So we don't. We want my predictions Let's to come true. Let's just focus on Chelsea running away with a tile. Okay, that prediction uh, can come true. Uh, Merry Christmas and a happy new year from everyone here at the Offside Rule. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. <laughs>